Well, we're in Acts chapter number 10. Can we turn there if you would, please? And we want to, three things we want to accomplish when we come to church here at First Baptist Church. Number one, we want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. Number two, we want to hear God's Word. And this is why we've come to this place in the Bible where we open the Word of God. Number three, we'd like for you to feel God's love and to share it by giving and praying for others to come to know Christ and to comfort them in times of need. This is what we want to accomplish when we're here. And we're here in Acts chapter 10 today, a very unique story, a very important story. For those of you who may not be as familiar with the Scriptures, the Bible is God's Word. It was given to us in one book with 66 books inside. The first book is Genesis, and it tells us how God started everything with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He made this world. He made you. He loves you, and He created you. And then the book of the Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, there are 1,600 years between the first writer of the Bible and the last writer of the Bible, but uh, they do not contradict each other because they have the same author. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when you find somebody, well, the Bible contradicts itself, I'd like for you to show each other how that happens. Because the Bible is God's Word. It tells us how He started everything, how He's going to end everything as we know it. Much of the book of the Revelation, the last chapter 4 through chapter 22, are all futuristic. Those are things that are going to happen. God doesn't mind telling the future. He's already there. <laughs> he doesn't mind putting it in print because he knows what's going to happen. God knows better what's going to happen tomorrow than you can remember what happened five minutes ago. And he loves you. He wants you to know. He put it in print. You say, what's the Bible? In the simplest term, it's God's love letter to you. <laughs> telling you, I love you. Over and over in the Word of God, He tells us, I love you. That's interesting to me, whenever you think about the most popular verse in the Bible, some might say it's Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That tells us that He loves us, and He wants us, and He can provide for us. But probably the most popular verse in the Bible that is more known by anyone who is familiar with the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's God's love letter. In the New Testament, the Old Testament was written before Jesus came. The New Testament, the last 27 books of your Bible, was written after Jesus went back to heaven. And it begins with the book of Matthew and concludes with the book of the Revelation. We have been studying in this, uh, in this church family uh, for the last several weeks in the book of Acts. It's the fifth book of our New Testament. And in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. Those are four instruments that God used to describe Jesus. Matthew, Jesus is the king. Mark, he's a servant. Luke, he's man. And John, he's God. And that's what they, they push toward, helping us understand that. It's like, it's like four men on the street corner looking at one man standing in the middle of the intersection and saying, he's God, he's man, he's a servant, he is king. But in chapter, at the end of each of those books, Jesus goes back to heaven to be with his father. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is still on earth and he goes back to heaven to be with his father at the beginning of the writing. And the book of Acts is God's Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the expansion of world evangelism 
in a book. It's 28 chapters. It's one of the longest books of your New Testament. It was written by uh, the human instrument of the guy named Luke. And Luke was a doctor. And he wrote two books of our Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He was very, uh, he, he, he did a lot of investigation, humanly speaking. He was inspired by the Holy Ghost, but he went and tried to study and find out all that happened and ask lots of people. And when he felt like he had a good understanding, the Holy Spirit used him to put the Word of God into our hands in those two books, Luke and Acts. We've been studying. We're in chapter 10 now. But to summarize the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus goes up to be with his Father. That's where he's at right now. In chapter 2, Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes down. And he fills those who have, been, uh, who have believed and received Jesus Christ. So, chapter 1, he goes up. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. Chapter 3, people who have his Spirit on the inside of them go out. And they begin to talk about this wonderful salvation that's made possible in Jesus Christ. They begin telling people about Christ. The reason you're here today and the reason I'm here is because somebody told me about Jesus. Someone's told you. Someone's done what the Holy Spirit of God wanted them to do inside of them. They told you, and that's why you're here today. And that is exactly what happened. Well, as they went out and told people about Christ, there uh, became some persecution. In this early days, people who heard the gospel, their lives changed drastically. And they left religious systems that were, uh, were no longer necessary and could not forgive their sin, and they came to Jesus. And when they did, it divided families. Some families didn't understand it. It, 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 uh, it punched the religious, religious leaders in the snot box. They got a little upset about it. What are you doing? leaving our system and going to this person. Because Christianity is not about a church, it's about a person. It's about Christ. And salvation cannot be earned. It must be received by faith. You don't go to heaven by being baptized. We'll watch people get baptized today. Most of the Sundays we do. But baptism cannot give you eternal life. This church is a body of believers. Church is not a building. Buildings don't change lives. What happens inside of them do if we get to hear God's word? But buildings do not save, save you. This church and this, and this institution cannot forgive your sin. A pastor or a priest or a religious a dogma will not give you eternal life. Only Jesus can give us eternal life. You can't give it to yourself. I want to be a good person. You want to be a good person. But we can't be good enough to go to heaven on our own. We must have the innocence and the righteousness of Jesus Christ to have eternal life. And do not accept any other counterfeit. If you are depending upon anything else besides Jesus for eternal life, you need to reconsider what you're doing and come to Jesus. Only through him can we have forgiveness of sin. Well, lots of things happen. Eight years have now gone by since the Spirit of God came down to believers. The church has gone through persecution. It's gone through purging. Two of its members lied to the Lord, and, and uh, they, did not, they weren't honest, and God uh, took them to heaven early. There were some challenges in the church, because even the best of churches, you're going to have people. You know, I think God has given us three things that we can be strong in the Christian life. He's given us His Word. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us his body. If you're going to be a strong Christian, you must give attention to the word of God. 
You must be responsive to the Holy Spirit of God, and you must be involved into the work of God and the, the body of Christ. Well, let me just remind you, the Word of God is perfect. Don't change it. Let it change you. The Spirit of God is perfect. It's God. He's God. But the church of God is not perfect. You and I go there. If you ever find a perfect church, do them a favor. Don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> there is not a perfect church. In the 135 years that this church has been in existence, we have had some good years and some very bad years. And if you live that long, you'll have the same story we have. Some good years and bad years. Because the church is not a building. It's not a domination. It's a people. And people are on their best days. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say. And we're all, Christians are not perfect, but they should be distinctively different. They, should, they need to be forgiven by God. And they need to seek to please the Lord. And sometimes we do that very effectively. Sometimes we do that very lousily. We don't do I don't know if lousily is a word, but I just made it up, okay? We do that in a very lousy way, I should say. But uh, God began to work in the work of people. And he saved it's Christianity's early nemesis named Saul. Saul of Tarshish. And God saved him and, and uh, brought him the gospel of Christ, and, and then he saved him, and then he set him apart. And for numbers of years, now this, this man who would be used of God in a wonderful way as a missionary to the Gentiles has been, has been set apart to spend time with God in Arabia for at least two years. He goes back to his hometown of Tarshish. That's where he's at when this information takes place we read this morning. He is set apart, and I'm sure he probably is twiddling his thumbs and thinking, I know I could do more than this. But may I tell you, you and I need to be content with God's pace and his place for our life. He was learning that. He would hit the ground running for 18 years at least. He would be a missionary circling the globe several times to get the gospel of Christ to people, spending many, many nights in a jail cell. Many, many uh, seasons of persecution and challenges, but very effective servant of Christ. But while he's in Tarshish, his hometown, learning more about patience and the, and the work and the pace of God, God is doing a work in his counterpart, Peter. Now, Peter was a man who was a Jewish man who, who met up with Jesus. He was a fisherman in Galilee, and he was brought to Christ by his little brother, Andrew. Andrew is referred to in the Bible as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter probably had a personality bigger than life. He was somebody who was vocal. He was a leader. People responded to him. He was an old fisherman, but definitely a follower of Christ. He and Jesus definitely butted heads a few times. Jesus was, was washing the disciples' feet, and he said, you know, I'm washing my feet. He said, well, you don't have any part of me. He said, well, then wash my head too and wash my hands and wash everything about because, because I, I'm in. And boy, several times he would he even denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times in one period of a night where he said, I will never deny thee. He ate those words. He did deny the Lord. He broke down and wept. And a few months later, a few weeks later, he was preaching the gospel of Christ, and God used him. Peter's a good example of someone who can fail and not be a failure. He is someone who didn't do always the right thing, and yet God was merciful and helped him. By the way, all of us are a bunch of mess-ups. 
All of us are a bunch of dirt pots. You may have more dirt in your pot than somebody else or less dirt, but we're just a dirt pot. We all got issues. Peter had issues. And Peter was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was very focused. And he wanted the Jews to be saved, but he wasn't so sure, even though God had very strategically told Peter many times. He says, I don't want you just to be a, uh, I don't want you just to care about the Jews. I want you to be witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, where the Jewish people live, but also in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And now Peter is going to get a lesson on God loves everybody. God shows him some things. If you'll look at verse number 28, would you please? Chapter 10, verse 28. And he speaks, and he said unto them, Ye know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company uh, or to come into another nation. He said, look, uh, he's now visiting with people who are not Jewish. He's staying in their house. He's eating with them. And he says, you know, this is not the norm. I really spend time with my people, and I don't go too much with people who are not Jews. However, he says, but God hath showed me. Would you read that together? God, one more time, that I should not call any man common or unclean. And what, what Peter found out is that God is trying to show him some things. There are some things God's trying to show you today. Some things God's trying to show me about himself and about me and about you and about the world. Many of us are slow learners. We are not getting, and, and boy, Peter was a slow learner. Let's quickly take our time and look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So there's a man who lives in Caesarea, a Gentile city, and he's a centurion. That means he has a hundred Roman soldiers that answer to him. Like century is a hundred years. He's a centurion. He has a hundred men that respond to his command. He is Roman. He's a Roman citizen, and he's a Roman soldier. He has 100 men, that answer, and he's part of the Italian band. So he originally, is, his soldiers are from Rome, and they have been stationed and deployed to Caesarea. Verse number 2, he is a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed unto God always. So the guy is devoted he even has practiced some of the Jewish time frames. You'll see that he prays at the ninth hour, the sixth hour. So he has adopted, he's been studying religion. He says, you know what? I believe this God that the Jews worship is probably the right one and even is praying to him. He is very generous. He is giving alms to people. He is not someone who is a can, he's a channel. He's not a bucket, he's a funnel. He is learning to give, he's learning to pray, and yet he still has a God spot that's empty. He's not saved. He's not going to heaven yet. He knows it, but he's trying to find the truth. And he's finding through his prayers and through his works. Look at verse number three. The Bible says this. He saw in the vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of, of God com, coming into him and saying to him, Cornelius, by the way, names are important. When you see an angel of the Lord, almost always he calls the person's names, like Saul, Saul, or Cornelius, or Samuel, Samuel. He called his name. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up as a memorial before God. 
So he calls his name. He said, Lord, what do you, what do you want? He says, I've, I've, I've seen what you're doing. I've seen your giving, and I've heard your prayers. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So he gives him a very specific thing and says, all right. Now, you're in Caesarea. Joppa is 30 miles away. That would be like going from here to Rensselaer almost. If you're here or on the other side of, uh, of O'Hare or where O'Hare is or Midway, it would be like getting, getting over there. He said, I want you to send some men and go over to Joppa. It's by the seaside. And I want you to find one guy. His name, his first name is Simon. His surname is Peter. Find him there. Look, if you would please, at verse number five. He says that, verse number six. He lodges or he's staying with one Simon, a tanner. A tanner is someone who works with leather and dead bodies and things of that nature. It was already a stretch for Peter to be at this guy's house. Peter was a Jew of Jew, and he probably wasn't terribly comfortable to be there, uh, but it might have just been what God was doing to bring him to there. He said, he's going to stay with this guy named Simon. He's a tanner. He lives by the seaside. Go over and send some men over to see him and get him to come to where you are. Verse 7. And when the angel was, was spaken to Cornelius, was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devoted or devout soldier of them that was waiting on him continually. He got two of his, his main foremen that worked with him, and then he got his, one of his soldiers and said, you guys, get over there to Joppa, and he told them what to do. Verse 8, and when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse number 9. And on the morrow, as they went their way in the journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and became, and became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, they said, I'm hungry, I'm getting ready to eat. But while they were fixing the meal, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and a certain vessel descending unto him, which had been a great sheet knit the four corners and let down on the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts in the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice from him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, And when God hath cleansed, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Verse number 16, read it out loud with me, would you please? This was done, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. And while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, trying to find the tanner's house, stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which is surnamed Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter thought on this vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men that were sent of him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man. They began to describe their boss. 
He that feareth God and had a good report among the nations of the Jews was warned of God by a holy angel to send for thee to his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And in the morrow, Peter went away with them to a certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and he called together his kinsmen and dear friends. And Peter coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up, saying, Stand up! I myself am also a man. And he begins to talk to him. I'm going to stop right there. It's a beautiful story. I hope you'll read the whole chapter this afternoon. But this is a great story of God's working. It's important to understand that the, the, the conversion of the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest conversions that set the trajectory of Christianity. But this visit really opened the door wide for the whole world to hear about God. This is a very powerful and a hinge of the gospel getting from the Jewish people to the Gentiles, most of which are in this room. Here we find the wonderful truth that God is doing. Now we have, we have a man over here that's in Caesarea, a man who's sincerely seeking. He is a groping Christian, or centurion. He is looking for answers. He's doing what he can do with the knowledge that he knows. And all he knows is that he's kind of impressed with this God of the Jews. He's been very kind to the Jews, the Bible tells us. He's feared God. He has given, he's praying, and he's seeking the true God. And while simultaneously you have a groping centurion over here trying to figure some things out, you have a growing Christian over here named Peter. And Peter has some growing to do. It's the middle of the day, he's hungry, and, and while he's waiting for them to fix the food, he falls into a trance, and, those, and the God gives him a dream. And the dream is that a sheet comes down from heaven and has all those animals on it that he is forbidden to eat in the book of Leviticus. It has lobster. Nothing wrong with lobster, my brother. I can't afford it, but I still like it. It has those crawfish. It has a catfish. It has the animals that a pig is on there. It has animals and fowls and things that he, he wouldn't eat that for nothing. He'd never eat in his life. But he's very hungry, and the Lord says, kill one of these animals and eat them. And he says, no, not me, man. I've never eaten that before in my life. And this lesson was not about food. It was about the gospel. It was about human beings. He said, Peter, what I have said is clean. Don't you call it common. Don't you call it unclean. And while he thought that the dream was over, and he thought, my goodness, God's asked me to eat swine? He's asking me to eat these things that I've never eaten before, these scum feeders and these different birds and animals that I would not eat? And he's saying it's okay. Now, what does it mean? And while he contemplates that, People are at the gate. Hey, is there a Simon Peter here? Hey, is this Simon the Tanner's house? And the Lord says to Peter, there's some guys who need to talk to you. You do whatever they need you to do. I've sent them. And he sent, they call out to him and said, yep, I'm the guy you need. Well, come on in. They come in and say, now what is it? What's your mission? He tell, they tell him about Cornelius. And then they say, look, man, he wants you to come and hear whatever you have to say. And boy, Peter, his world is turned upside down. He was interested in an audience of people or Jewish people of Pentecost. He was not interested in this Gentile audience. But God had dealt with him. 
And they stayed overnight, and then they make their way to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is waiting, and he is gathering his friends and his family to come and listen to Peter. Peter walks in the house. He falls to his knees and said, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I've been waiting for you. And he began to worship him. He said, get up. I am not, I'm not God. I'm just a messenger. He said, what do you want me to do? What do you want to know? What happened to you? He told him the same story. And Peter began to share the gospel with those people, and they got saved. And they accepted Jesus. And then in chapter 10, verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized after they got saved. And they submitted to the obedience of baptism. It's a beautiful chapter, and our time is just about up. But I want to share with you a couple thoughts real quickly. First of all, I want you to know that God loves everybody. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. The pigment of your skin, the origin of your race, God doesn't care. He loves you. He loves everybody, and he showed Peter here that he was not a respecter of persons. As far as he's concerned, anybody, whosoever shall call the name of the Lord, shall be saved. For God so loved the... Yeah, that means you. That means me. If you're a man or if you're a woman, if you're old or you're young, if you have a different background, religious system, God loves you. He loves everybody. I want us to understand that. That's an important thing. Number two, God is working in everyone. Even people you do not think he's working and he's working. Some of you, if someone would have told you five years ago you'd be sitting in a church this morning, you would have laughed in their face. I was out soul yesterday with a family and uh, um, two men, and they said to me, Pastor, if you would have told me that me and my brother would be out soul today. Another guy said, Pastor, I, I've been high on drugs and alcohol for all my, my adult life. If you would have told me I'd be sitting in a pastor's car going to tell other people about Jesus Christ, I would have, I would have thought you fell off your rocker. You've been drinking your bathwater. That's terrible. Can't believe it. He said, but what God has done in my life is unexplainable. You know what? God is working. God is working in your life. I hope you're letting God work in your life. And if you, while he's working with someone who is a, who is a sinner looking for a savior, he's working in you. Number one, he loves everybody. Number two, he is working. He is working the people around you. No, he's not working that guy. I tell you what, he, he's got more piercings. He looks like a Mr. a Mr. T, you know, starter kit or something. He's got all kinds of, he wouldn't be, he might be need the one God put in your life. Oh, this person, they curse God. They hate the Lord. They say they're atheists. God's working in their heart and life. He is drawing people to repentance. Would to God that we would all, those who are saved and those who are unsaved, would come to God. For repentance. He's working. I want you to know also that growth is not always comfortable. Accepting responsibility is not always the easy thing to do. I want to close with this because of time this morning. I spoke to a man this morning. His name is Johnny Pope. Johnny Pope pastors a great church in Houston, Texas. And he came here as a young man in 1972. Was here in the early days of our college. And has pastored for 40 years in that great state. And just is a dear friend. I called him this morning to clarify this particular story I heard him say one time. He said he was, he was burdened in his heart that he wasn't a faithful soul winner. And he said he, he was on the airplane, got off a United Air, aircraft there in Houston, Texas, driving to the church. And he said, Lord, if you can show me who to witness to, I want you to give me someone today. 
He said, I had to take it. There was traffic on the main road, so on the main highway, so I took the back way, the little shortcut, back through Houston, kind of in the downtown area, and I was driving in my little mini Cooper, and he found himself, and he looked off, and there was a guy on a bus bench that was obviously from a Middle Eastern country. And the Lord said to Johnny, go see him. He said, Lord, good night in the morning. Of all people going to witness to, I don't think he's going to be interested. He said, Johnny, you told me you, you would stop if I asked you to. He said, well, I can't find a parking place. And at right that time, a guy pulled out and says, okay. So I put my little, small, little Mini Cooper in there, and I went back, and I took my large Schofield Bible, of all things, in my hand. And it, I took it with me. I walked back, and I said to the gentleman, how are you? He goes, I'm doing great. Thank you. He had a very strong British accent. I said, do you mind if I talk to you about Christ? Because I'm waiting for a bus. Go ahead. And he said, he said, I'd like to show you in the verses how you could be a Christian. Are you interested? Because I'm very interested. Thank you very much. I said, what? So I went through the Bible with this gentleman. And at the end, I was getting ready toward the end. And the bus that he was riding pulled up. And he said, um, he said um, oh, man, your bus is here. I'm so sorry. And he pulled out a gospel track. You know who gives out gospel tracks? People who have them. Yeah. He pulled out a gospel track. He said, now, if I could stay and talk more with you, this is what I would tell you. I want you to read this. I know you've got to go. And the man says, no, no. Tell me more. Tell me more. I can catch the next bus. And he took the hand and took Brother Johnny's hand and says, no, no. The door opened. He said, go. Tell me more. At the end, he showed him how to be saved. And that man who was raised in England, from a Middle Eastern country who had been practicing the Muslim faith, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. When he got done, he said, he said you've got to explain some things. Why are you so receptive? He said, I can't believe this. Just moments ago, I thought to myself, my world is caving in, and I've prayed to Allah. I've tried to get him. I've been in the States for 10 weeks. I find such emptiness in my heart. I've gone to the mosque. I find no answers there. And I just sat on this, bunch bench, bus, on this bus bench and I said, Allah, you are a cruel, angry God. And if I could find someone else to show me a real God, I would worship him. And you came up to talk to me. You know, dear friend, God is working. We need to be a growing Christian sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. One of you, everybody in here, you're either one of those two people. You're a centurion who needs to be saved. You're a sinner that's looking for answers, or you're a Christian that knows the answer that needs to tell someone else the answer. If you're someone here and you say, I don't know for sure if I died, you're just like this man. You may be a good person. You may be generous. You may be trying to pray. But God needs to bring you to his son, Jesus Christ. You may be as saved as the Apostle Paul and as saved as Apostle Peter. But you need to be sensitive like me to tell others about Christ.